Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. Hello and welcome to the Asia Tech Podcast Studio. My name is Graham Brown. This is Pitch Deck Asia, where we profile some of the best startups in Asia, and not just startups as well, but businesses of all different sizes and stripes. Joined today by Balas Molna. Balas, welcome. Yes, thank you very much. Thanks for inviting. It's great to have you here. CEO of APAC for Alice. So we're going to talk about your journey. We're going to talk about the problem that you're solving and also your team and where you go from here. Let's start at the top. You are from, and this is not a Singaporean name by any stretch of the imagination, but where it are you is from? It is definitely not. Uh, it's a Hungarian name. So I'm Budapest. from Hungary. Yeah, yeah, I'm from Budapest, born and raised. Mm. Beautiful city. It is. You all should visit. Yeah. yeah, I love it. Good coffee as well. So Very good. Yeah. You know, the one thing about Hungary has been famous for over time, as well as recently in, in the, the tech era, is for a certain type of companies. There's a lot of companies that come out of um Hungary, Budapest as well, it should have been very tech focused, very much on the sort of the back end of, you know, supporting the whole internet, whether it is like Prezi, the presentation side, and you've got the data sides as well, the, the database builders. What is it about Hungary that produces this sort of category? I mean, you know, not a lot of people know about Hungary outside of that, with all due respect, respect, I mean, you know, I don't yep. know historically, you've got a big claim to fame. But in, in the tech space, you produce a lot of engineers and database guys, what's going on? I think it's um, it's, a, it's a good question. Um, we sometimes ask ourselves as well. But I think what is important here is that um, our language is so different. So I'm, mm. usually people don't expect this answer, but our language is so different. Uh, we don't really fit into any of the European languages. We are not Anglo-Saxon. We are not Slavic. We are not like you know, Latin language. It's a very different language, very different logic. Um, and therefore, I think historically our, our mind or our brain is just working differently. Mm. Um, and, um, and we are traditionally very good in math uh, and we're very good in engineering. Um, we invented a few different things uh, over the course of history, like vitamin C, uh, the computer itself. So John von Neumann is actually a Hungarian guy, Hungarian-born American scientist. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, and I like to take this back to the language that we have a very different thinking. Uh, and I think it's, uh, it helps us to be very good in, in sciences, mm. uh, in general. Um, we also have a very strong engineering education. Um, so, um, I think universities are traditionally very, very strong in, um, in, in basically, uh, engineers, mm. um, so therefore, we get a pretty good supply, even though the country's size is, is, is very small. I mean, relatively, Singapore is close to what we have. We have 10 million people. Mm. But in terms of the size um, and compared to the size, the amount of engineers and good engineers, especially in technology, is, uh, is, is extremely high. Mm. What we're really bad at is, uh, is selling. Right. Uh, yeah, so I think that's the uh, <laughs> that's that's why we have our um, that's why we have our business in Asia and uh, and our innovation center in Budapest because right. we try to get the both word uh, the best of both words basically. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. So you're based here in Singapore, yes. and your development team is in Budapest partially. partially. So we have development team in Singapore, yeah. um, mainly customer engineers uh, who who are based here, focusing on Asia, mainly Indonesia, Malaysia, mm. Singapore. Um, but the larger team from the development team is in Hungary because it just makes more sense for us to to keep there. Not necessarily cost-wise, actually cost-wise, it's, uh, 
it's, it, it doesn't have any advantage. Um, in Budapest? Uh, yeah, no? Budapest really? is not a cheap place. Right. Um, I suppose, I suppose if, if you're a developer, you can charge a, yeah, a world exactly. market rate, can't you? Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Right. Especially that like these are world-class developers, so yeah. you can't really save. But in terms of the supply of engineers and the knowledge and like just to keep, we call it the innovation center because it is really what it is. So like we, um, we basically create new things every day in terms mm. of, you know, our workloads and stuff. So, um, so it really makes sense for us to keep the team there. Uh, but, um, the business is, is mainly here. Mm. Uh, although we have European clients as well, but, but Asia is just like outgrowing everything as okay. in pretty much, I guess, like, any industry. No. You're in the yeah. right place. Yeah. You're in the hotspot. So we'll talk about your team in a minute as well. And also importantly, the kind of people you want to join your team, um, because it's a global market as well. I mean, yep. what you're playing in is that people will look for those exciting projects they can be part of. I want to talk, uh, obviously, about Aliz, but before we get there, your background as well, I think, is really interesting. And it sort of sets the scene here because you've worked for some of the premium names in the tech space. You've worked for Google. You've worked for Uber. Um, and especially now that we're sort of branching into the data analytics side of things, because th these are two companies which just must have access to billions and billions of data sets. So the need for data analysis and turning that into actionable insights is, is so important. You, so you've worked for those companies. Uh, I want to know a little bit about what you did there, but also then why did you then go and then do your own thing? What was the, you know, you must, yep. some people must have said to you, Barlos, you're crazy. You know, why don't you just, you know, stick with the, the big, the IT companies you're looked after forever, right? So yeah. what were you doing there first? Tell um, us about Google and Uber. Yeah, I mean, the fact that like, I always get that you're crazy. So like, this is usually the, like, if I say someone that what we're going to do or what I'm going to do, they tell me that you're crazy. Like my mom, when I left Google, she mm. told me I was crazy after right. six years. Yeah. Uh, you're onto a good thing. Yeah, you're in, you're, in the, uh, you're in the best place in the world. Yeah. And it was true, actually. I still believe that Google is probably one of the, the best uh, corporations uh, that you can work for. Um, but I, I was just never a corporate guy. I mean, like it was um, so my... Like I never wanted to work for a corporation for my entire life. That was that's something I knew mm. when I was twelve years old, probably. Um, but um, I also knew that you know Hungary is a small place, uh, and I was only you know twenty something when I started to uh, to work there, and mm. um, and it was just you know I. You know that feeling when you, at, the older you get, the the more you know that the less you know, actually. Mm. So, like, at the beginning, I knew, like, you know, when I was 18 or 16, I thought that I knew everything. Right? Yeah, right. Yeah. I got a little older. I, I started to feel, I'm, I don't know any everything. And then, like, I got a little older, and then I knew, that, like, probably I don't know nothing. And um, so that's what I felt, like, basically when I made the decision of, like, okay, this is probably not the right time to go to, just try to do my own thing uh, at the beginning of my career. Hmm. Um, so I started to work in um, I started to work in corporations basically, um, and that led me to Google after after a point, which is um, which is obviously a place where I think if in any point of your life you have the chance to work at Google, yeah. you should just go for Take it. it. And uh, yeah. I tell this to everyone, um, which turned out to be probably the best decision of my life to hmm. uh, to go uh, to Google. But again, back to that, the reason was that I had to, um, I just had to learn, you know, like I had to learn, I had to uh, understand like, you know, what's out there, especially when you live in your small country, um, in your small little, you know, 
yeah. within your borders. Um, no matter how much you travel, you just don't understand how things work. Um, and that's something that you realize more and more as you get older. At least I do. So mm -hmm. now I know that like I still don't know anything. Um, so yeah, so basically I, I, um, I started to work in the corporate world that led me to get a job at Google. Um, six years, right? And then, so. yeah, I was there for six years, um, which is like a tremendous journey. In Google uh, search as well. So it wasn't yeah. like a, one of the, the side projects. It was the main thing. Yeah, right? the core the core business. Uh, I mean, I started in Europe. I did a bunch of different things there, mainly around acquisition and the core business for, uh, for ad sales. Hmm. Um, but then I, when I came to Asia, um, I was basically asked to come here to... Uh, help people to get online, which is a super exciting thing. Mm. Um, we had um, we had an initiative back then uh, which helped people to get free internet access on feature phones. Uh, this was like you know, 2013, mm. um, mainly in Southeast Asia, India, and Africa. Um, and then this initiative quickly evolved to something else because then we realized that actually people in these countries were not searching anymore. The internet was a closed environment for them they mainly came to social media to mm. post pictures and like it was very very limited experience that they got so uh the team that i was part of um and then later i got to lead um basically we came up with the um with, with the proposal that we need to make search sexy again mm. because for these people search meant nothing they didn't understand what the open web was they didn't understand like you know how much they can actually get out of like uh, going to the internet and search and go on a journey of like finding out different things and learn, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, um, so that was amazing. And I think like we still see the results and Google still sees the results of like how search uh, grew back basically from, mm. uh, from almost like a lost position. Um, just to give you some numbers, like Android would have grown uh, 10x and search usage only grew 2x on Android. So that was sort of like the stage that we've wow, seen. Yeah. Um, and I think now it's uh, it's in a much, much healthier position and people in Indonesia and, uh, and India and uh, parts of Africa now understands much better that the internet is way more than just, you mm -hmm. know, getting into social network and, and, you know, free messages and stuff. But you can actually really get a lot more out of it. So yeah, so I got to work on search, which is amazing. Uh, I got to work on some of the most advanced technologies uh, like voice search, uh, mm. like uh, predictive uh, stuff that helped you to get better results. Um, so a bunch of different things. It was it was really like something that I wouldn't I wouldn't change for. You Absolutely, know, it's a great education. Anything, yeah, yeah, exactly. And it a was, great working with great people. Yeah, like the best pe people. People often say, yeah. you know, you know like in the startup world, obviously, that you, you want to get out there, you want to start a business, and that's the, how you learn. But there is another way, which is like you can go and work in a great environment. Google, which is startup-like in its thought processes. Yeah, um, It's not two guys anymore, right? <laughs> in a garage. <laughs> in a right? garage, yeah. Th those days are over. But very much the way they approach, you know. And, and also, I guess what I'm curious about, and this sort of leads us into Alice as well, is that, what you learn in terms of how you go about a problem like that, which is, okay, how do you make search sexy again? You know, how do you bring it back? You know, you can have sort of the gut instinct about how to do it, but I guess it was a data-driven strategy, wasn't it? I mean, what did you learn from Google in terms of, you know, making those strategic decisions for a business using the data? Because this is sort of a new thing really in business. In the old days, it was like, okay, I'm the CMO, I'm the head of marketing. I think we're going to do this because I've seen it somewhere else. It looks all right. Whereas 
I don't think they do it like that in Google, do they? It's very much like, here's the data, this is what we know. How, how, what did it teach you there in terms of making those decisions? Yeah, I think like, and it gets back to the same data point that I just mentioned, that the myth, right? Like there's a lot of myth everywhere. If you go to any company, half of the work, uh, workloads are actually managed on myths, like things mm. that are, I think that's, or we think that is going to happen. So for example, the biggest myth was that Google search is used by everywhere, right? Uh, yeah. Like it makes sense, right? Like yeah. you use Google search, your friends are using Google search, uh, your all your friend employees, in, like all, all your, your employees. Yeah, exactly. If you go to a company in Indonesia and look at what they use, they use Google search. But that's not the not the case when you look at the numbers, mm. right? Like very simple numbers. Android grew 10x, search usage on Android grew 2x. Something is wrong, right? Like people mm. are not using search anymore. They're using something else, and it's not necessarily the the thing that they're using another search engine because there was no other search engine that mm. they were using. Mm. They were just not using search, and that was a really hard. Actually, it was a really difficult thing to make people understand outside of Southeast Asia. People who are sitting in San Francisco or right. like, you know, mm. wherever it's just so distant from the real world, it's really hard for them to understand. I remember first presentation about the Philippines and then like the most important thing that people ask, like, I didn't know that the Philippines was a hundred million people. Right. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, right. okay, so maybe yeah. that's an actually important market. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, look it, at, yeah. you know, Southeast Asia, there's a lot of those. I mean, Indonesia is 250 yeah. million, right? So I mean, I think Indonesia is a place where which people generally know because it's the fourth largest country in the world. Mm. It's the largest uh, Muslim country in the world. They, they have a lot of like largest, you know, mm. but like places like the Philippines, people yeah. didn't even know about like, this is a hundred million people. I think now it's sort of close to 110 million people uh, with like 60% internet penetration mm -hmm. now, like something like that. So, um, so I think like there's a lot of myth busting that has to happen in these companies and even at Google, to be mm. fair, mm. um, without like trying to you know getting into maybe they change their processes but, right, like, right. but that's uh, natural right yeah exactly yeah, i mean like human beings yeah we are human beings and like half of our decisions are even though like they you, they told you to to base everything on data but like we you know sometimes we just know it better right, right? and humans. sometimes it, it yeah. makes sense sometimes the data yeah. just can't give you the instinct that as a human being you have mm -hmm. but um but it's always better to back it up right so yeah. uh um, so I think that, that that helped a lot in terms of understanding that, you know, how we can actually bust those myths mm. and like actually data helps because like powerful things like these Android numbers that I said can really help you to uh, to make people understand like if you have a problem, if you have an opportunity. Yeah. Usually when you have a problem, you have an opportunity as well, right, to solve. So um, so basically that was a very, very important journey for me at Google, understanding like how to use the data, how to make better decisions, uh, and how to convince other people to, mm -hmm. uh, to make better decisions who you, you know, like you might not be in the position of making certain decisions, but using data, you can actually make those. So that's one thing. The other thing is, which is very important, and this is pretty much like what we do, is how you can use data to to automate things. Right. This is moving into Ali's, right? So yeah, but uh, in some way it relates to Google. Google right, yeah, absolutely. exactly. Because like most of the companies, and even now, like I'm talking to CEOs of large companies and and CTOs, and often the first conversation starts with how we can automate things in machine learning. How can mm -hmm. we use this AI thing? And you know, like all these buzzwords that are out there. 
And my first question is, do you get your data right? Mm. Because in a way, people know that like anything that you want to automate has to start with data. But on the other hand, it is a bit less sexy, you know, because like nobody cares about the plumbing, right? Like right. They, they don't want yeah. to look at it. They want to look at the beautiful house and how does it look like. But actually, every, everything starts with the plumbing. You need mm. to get the plumbing right. You need to get your data right in order to be able to automate things. And this is something I learned at Google, to be honest. Like, I mean, like Google handles more data than anybody else. Google does more automation than anybody else in the world. Um, and um, and basically, this this led me to to thinking that, like, basically, we need to start everything from the data. Mm-hmm. And even if AI, or I I don't like to say AI because it's not a technology, but machine learning mm. is actually based on data. And if you don't get your data right. You can just dream about these things, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Are, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, what I want to do is I want to look at your deck um, and have a, a sure. quick look at that. But before we go into that, I'm really fascinated by this um, idea of not getting the data right because I, I completely agree with you. And I'm curious as a startup founder myself. It's like you know, w- let's talk about what the problem is. What what is the problem there? Why are people not? I know. You know, there's the it's not sexy part as well, but there's a human aspect in there as well, which is kind of getting in the way, isn't it? Why aren't we getting the data right? You know, is it just that we don't know how to? And what does it mean not to get the data right? I mean, if we took as a, a very basic case study, a small company like Asia Tech Podcast, we gather data about you know the signups, the conversions, the the newsletters, the the traffic, the views on this interview, for example, all of that we gather that. And so, where would you know, in your understanding of the companies that you sat with, where did generally companies get it wrong at the, you know, step one? How do they approach that in the wrong way? Yeah, I think it's um, in in terms of, it's also a matter of size, right? Like how much data you get, like in terms of like a size of a startup, which gets like, you know, not that significant amount of data, then it's easier to sort of like, you know, collect it in the right place and like mm. use it as the one single source of truth. Uh, but usually it gets a little more complicated when you get a lot of different data, like especially like companies who would sell online, uh, no matter if it's an OTA, like an online travel agent, even like a, 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 an airline or an mm. e-commerce, anybody who gets a lot of traffic, a lot of measurable data points. Um, usually those data points are going into different silos. Um, traditionally, data warehousing was a very expensive and robust um project that had Mm. to happen in only large companies and like you know we talk about big data for the past 20 years or even 25 years right like it was always there Mm. Uh, but it was a privilege of like these large companies they build these like massive data warehouses in their like basement basically which didn't really evolve over time like it was really hard to to get those into the new you know like those those data warehouses pretty much the same Mm. as it was like 15 uh, 20 years ago and they still usually sit on those data warehouses um and it's hard to apply different like modern machine learning algorithms on them it's it's just like you know it's just data as are sitting in silos so there are different different things in different companies why mm. it's just not fixed like think about again like the plumbing right like mm. maybe um if you go to a country where 
all the pipes are all over the place. It was built like 50 years, 60 years ago. Usually you need yeah. to upgrade those. Yeah. And then like I think what the problem is is that this upgrade just didn't happen in most of the companies, especially like these traditional large enterprises like your telcos, your yeah, banks, yeah. your airlines, whatever. Uh, because it was just a lot of investment 20 years ago and the world just moved on, right? So I think that's number one. Um, the other thing is that... Um, Again, it's just not sexy enough. Like people would like to jump ahead and say, like, okay, I want to automate my entire marketing with machine learning. Right. I ideally I don't want anyone to look at it. I just, just want to get yeah, press the button yeah. and then like throw it out there and collect the money and like, you know, the acquisitions Sail off and into stuff. The yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then I usually yeah, that's fine. That's that's really good. That's a good vision. <laughs> but first we need to spend a year to build up your right. you know underlying yeah. uh platform the that will, yeah, yeah the pipes that yeah. will understand like where to put that money because right. otherwise you're pretty much fishing with dynamites right like yeah you have maybe have a lot of money to spend but you're just throwing the dynamites in the ocean and then the fishes will come up but you never know if you can actually go for the yeah the big fish you know yeah it's not sustainable right yeah exactly and i think like that's uh that's another uh challenge or where companies need to change their mindset that yeah. sometimes it's much fa like much faster if you actually fix the basics uh on the data front mm. and then you try to do all the all the sexy stuff um, gotcha all right well let, let's get the the the, the deck up because then we can actually have a look at your solution and um maybe we can jump it's about sort of slide six or so if we can just sort of slide through um keep going um yeah um i i, I yeah so we can go back to that that graph there, because that that oh, I mean, yeah, that's the one from raw data to optimizing process. Can you talk us through this? And I think it's important that we get across as well that your solution is built um, very much on Google building blocks. Yes. Right? You haven't sort of reinvented the wheel, and yeah. Google's done a really good job of this. Yes. Just it needs somebody to implement this in the business world. And you speak Google's language, you speak businesses' language, and so you can easily, you know, yep. cross these two worlds. You're a bridge between them. Tell us a little bit about what this graph means. And and by the way, some people may be just listening to it, so maybe you can be a bit sort of descriptive. So this is about from raw data to optimizing processes. What is this about? Is this sort of, um, you know, is this sort of depicting what the challenge and what the problem is? So maybe you can yeah. talk about it. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, like, I think this is, I, I really like this chart. Uh, I didn't invent this. Um, I, I took it from a Google uh, <laughs> presentation or somewhere. Yeah. Um, but the, basically the point here is that um, if you look at the raw, uh, the lower quadrants, which is like raw, raw data, clean data, and like a few other steps, um, these are traditionally what you've been able to do in the past. I don't know, like 20 years. You were able to collect the data. You were able to analyze the data. Usually you had to wait for a week or sometimes two weeks to get right. the data into your data warehouse and being able to you know, understand what was going on. But pretty much the point here is that you were only able to understand what happened in the past, right? Like you didn't know like what's going to happen. It was really hard to apply predictions. Hmm. It was really hard to even segment customers because there was just no... Even the largest companies like, um, again, like Tackles didn't have the, the firepower. They didn't have the computing power to yeah. be able to analyze and to be able to segment and apply deep learning onto these data sets. Um, so it was just not very important, I guess, for them. So they were happy by understanding what happened in the past. So they were able to measure and try to, you know, set their KPIs and OKRs, et cetera. So this is like traditionally what happened. And 
this is sort of like what we call on-premise data warehousing, but like, you know, it's a bit of a um, generalization. But that's the past. Yeah, right? but that's, that's how we that, did it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's how we did it. And um, what we do is basically we like to start either Greenfield or just like take one workload, especially if it's a large company, hmm. and start to apply, as you mentioned, um, Google's technologies, start to apply some of uh, Google's data warehousing solutions and 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 channeling the data and uh and then that's when as we used to say at google that's when the magic is going to happen because basically that's when you can start to apply uh different machine learning algorithms that's when you can automate things i'm a large believer in automation and this is pretty much why i'm doing this what i'm doing that it's not just about like making decisions automated but basically making processes much mm. more effective yeah uh and being able to predict what's going to happen in the future so like being able to be much more precisely tell how many customers you're going to get mm. what is the ltv of a customer that you might gonna get so you will be able to uh target them better mm. um you will be able to create a much better experience um so so just so i understand the way that this sort of pans out is that in the current world as it stands with those sort of business owners or you know people in charge of departments marketing officers and whatever who are charged with trying to predict and automate their processes they're going in trying to build that on what's on the left hand side the old yeah. school de- and you, what you're saying is that exactly. just doesn't work because that's like trying to build a nice house and the pipes are all screwed up underneath and yep. it's just going to blow up at some stage, right? Yeah. ain't going to work. You've got to start Greenfield, like you're saying, coming with these most building blocks. Yeah, yeah, most of the cases. Um, you got to, and this is why I'm always saying, you got to get your data right first. You need to make sure that their da- your data is in the right position to be able to apply yeah. these things. Uh, once that's done, and these are not that big projects. I mean, traditionally... These data warehousing projects, they were like multi-million dollars, like, mm. you know, tens of millions of dollars sometimes and took like two, three years. It doesn't have to be that anymore. And this is why we, are fasc- we were fascinated by the technologies that Google came out in the past few years. Uh, and to be fair, like all the other cloud providers, mm. we just believe that Google is way ahead of the game in, in data and machine learning. Um, but, um, that's why we were, that's why we started to focus on this because basically we said like, okay, so... We got all these beautiful building blocks now. Mm. Um, you don't need to build a one-size-fits-all solution because basically we can standardize at least half of the processes of you know these building these solutions, but the other half is always gonna be custom. Mm. But since you know we got all the building blocks, it's just a matter of like you know mindset change and the integration process. So yeah, that's what we pro- like yeah. pretty much doing. And like people who stuck in the lower quadrant of that um, of that chart, it's going to be really hard to get to, you know, get to a future proof solution. It's going to take time. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to take time. It's probably going to take forever. Because, yeah. Uh, if you're <laughs> a few there, lifetimes, right? Yeah. If you're there, you know, I... Good luck. Yeah, good luck. Exactly. <laughs> oh, let's go back. You've got, a, you've got a case study in here so people can kind of understand how this actually pans out when you implement. If you can go to slide 12... I mean, you've got a few case studies in here, but I'll just pick this first one out. Um, sorry, and it's the next slide. You've got a whole bunch of case studies. Um, yeah, so on, if we go to slide 12 again, if you could just flip back there um, in terms of your implementations. Um, if you are listening along, there's a whole bunch of, um, you know, very well-known names there that you've worked for, you're working with, with Alice there. Um, on the slide, you can actually see it. And we'll scroll down. I want to actually go to one of the actual 
case studies. So that was the slide 13, if we can just sort of pop up there, recommendation. Now, is this to do with, um, so just to understand it a little bit better, the case study about recommendation in terms of marketing recommendation, consumer recommendation in the old school worlds of net promote yep. score and so on. You know, this is like the gold for yep. CMOs now, isn't it? Oh, we've got to in, improve our net promoter score. You know, how do we do that? We do yep. a survey. Or, but what are you talking about? What are you doing? here this is next digital so maybe you can talk through a little bit about this case study Uh, yeah i think it's easier if i just give you a little more generic update and then you will understand and um, what you can do in the media this is a media business but i think in terms of general recommendation does two things right like one is that you give a better customer experience Mm. um, which is obviously going to raise your nps and like just you know you're gonna have a better product which is pretty much like i think that's the main goal of every single company right mm. like especially if you're a startup um and the other one is when you're a cmo or when you're a marketing manager and then you want to be better in terms of recommending uh you or better with your ads recommending stuff mm. for the for the customer right like you want to better segment you want to understand which customer can drive you uh, can have better lifetime value attribute and all those different things so these are like two separate streams but like it relates to to the same things um in terms of um recommendation in the media industry it's very straightforward right like you want to read articles that you're interested in Mm. so like how you can actually get better recommendations when um when when you're a news uh news outlet usually um what we've seen and we work with a bunch of other uh, media companies around the world uh, that um, one of the main reasons why people would delete their uh, news applications is because the annoying pop-up mm. um, recommendations. So like it's something that you get all these articles that you're actually not it's really noise. interested in, right? Yeah. And they usually recommend the same stuff for, for everyone. You get the same articles mm. as I get and like pretty much like there is, yeah, there is, for example, my favorite news outlet in Hungary, which we don't work with, unfortunately, but they always gives me completely unrelevant uh, notifications. So I already know that I read them because I like them, but I already know that when I get the pop-up notification, it's not going to be interesting. (laughs) Yeah, it's not going to be relevant for me. But you're a bit forgiving there because you like, there's an emotional attachment. For everybody else, you don't give them that sort of space, right? It's a different topic. Unfortunately, there is not many other news uh, um, or media outlets these days to read in Hungarian um, that is not related (laughs) to uh, certain political systems. But anyway, so... um, um, yeah, so basically, that's that's uh, I think that's a good example of how you can yeah. actually create a better uh, user experience. Another uh, good example and recommendation is uh, is Spotify, which mm, is uh, probably my uh, my favorite example. Unfortunately, it's not us behind; they they did it themselves. Mm. Uh, but basically, once um, if you probably you're a Spotify user, once they uh, started to apply the uh, a new data warehousing and mm. machine learning solutions which was by the way built on google's technologies um that's when the discovery feature just really changed the game and mm. uh i think that's uh that doesn't need to be explained to most of the people who actually use spotify because i think like for me it completely changed my experience with music yeah. because basically now I just discover a new music every day, and yeah, it's yeah. Even, it's not even the same genres, you know. Like I started to listen to genres that I didn't even know I like. Yeah. So it's amazing. So I think that's a very very good example of how 
um, recommendations and how data combined with strong machine learning capabilities mm. can change how you actually uh, create product experiences. Yeah, absolutely. And the key, the key there is it's not radically different, is it? I mean, even if you take Spotify as a case study example, is that they're not producing something which is a paradigm shift. It's just better process. Yeah. It's just they have this data, they're using it. And even if, you know, they produce a 20% more accurate recommendation, once you sort of add up all those marginal gains in the process, it produces a so much better experience. You know, they're not going in and saying, look, you've all got a recommendation wrong. It doesn't work like, you know, you know this and I know that and semantic net and so on. It's completely different, you know, you know, completely different paradigm. They're just saying, let's improve the process. And once you sort of like add that up, it compounds up. The end experience for the user is so much better. Yeah. And I think we've seen a great example of this, this, uh, the last few months, um, before I want to talk about your team as well. I mean, we're coming around to that, the kind of people who may be interested in these yeah. kind of like applications. Um, uh, Chinese company ByteDance and TikTok. Yeah. TikTok now is the world's most valuable startup at just under 80 billion. And I read an article with them. Yeah, 80 billion out of nowhere from zero to 500 million. And they said, everything we do is driven by data and machine learning. Yeah. And all they are is just like some karaoke app for kids, right? Yeah. And it's all about recommendation. Oh, you like... These two girls like singing this, like, you know, Rihanna song, you also like this one. So it is, it's not radically different from what we know already. It's just, they're using that data. They've got a great process and they're just applying it. And the results are just phenomenal. You know, yep. From zero to 500, 500 million. Nobody knows who these people are. Unless yep. you've got like teenage daughters, yeah, yeah. you know, right? Yeah. So I guess, you know, there are people out there that are doing this. And I guess let's sort of bring this round now to the team because, People are looking for these big projects to be involved in. I, 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 there's two parts to this question. The first is, what kind of people are you looking for, mindset-wise? And secondly, is like, you know, why would they come to Aliz, for example? What would be their sort of like, you know, that promise of those big projects that they can get involved? Because people, you know, if they could work at Spotify or they could work at Google, they can yeah. learn so much. These are the projects they want to onboard with. So yeah. let's let's start first with the team. What kind of people are you looking for to? to be involved in these projects? Um, obviously, people want to change the world. <laughs> yeah, but... Um, Do they have to want to change um, the world? I think it's, a, you know, it's just a generic term. Um, I think, like, people... Um, I think for what we are doing, um, you really have to believe in the technology and mm. you have to believe in... Since we're only using Google's platforms, you have to believe that, you know... Or you need to understand that why we are using it and why it is the best uh, available, basically vendor for data and machine learning, mm. and why we decided not to start sort of like going into and trying to build our own stuff because that's that's very important. Um, I think it's also um, you have to have a strong um, urge to uh, to do different projects and not just like one thing because basically and this i think this is this could be for some people as a disadvantage but also an advantage mm. and it's mainly I, I see this mainly an advantage especially for developers because if you go to google usually or whatever company you know large uh, enterprise technology company you'd work on like a small bit of some like small product or like maybe it's a big product but it's a small bit still like mm. you would work on uh, you're one of the engineer on the inbox feature of Gmail, you know. Well, what we are doing is that we we run a lot of projects among like multiple different companies, like you know, from the large Indonesian unicorns to the largest airlines in the region and in Europe. Um, so those are 
ultimately very, very different project mm. in a way of like, you know, these companies facing different challenges in some way, of course, is the same. But at the end of the day, since their business model is different, there are different workloads to apply what we're doing. At the end of the day, you can end up in like, you know, maybe working on two, three different projects at the same time. And I think that makes it very exciting. Um, but um, that might be, you know, like you need to be prepared of like, you know, working a lot, obviously, as in every growth stage company. Mm, mm. Um, you need to be prepared of like, you know, talking to many, many different people who are coming from different industry background and you need to be adjust to that. So this makes also like harder for us to find people because you're not, it's not enough that you're just an amazing technologist, uh, at least for the roles that we're hiring at mm, the moment. Mm. But you need to be very strong in terms of understanding challenges that these people or that these companies are facing and uh, try and and be able to speak their language mm. which doesn't mean that you just speak english you know no. like or Bahasa. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah you need to understand you need to talk the language that uh, these people uh, mm. are speaking and as you saw like especially the companies the large companies which you would like to change because that's what i believe we're going to have the biggest effect on each of our lives when your bank your tackle mm. your whoever like large company is gonna give you a better experience who are sitting right now in the lower quadrant of that chart, how you can change the mindset of these people, you know, mm. like how you can make them understand that, like, you know, you can actually catch up with the fintech companies if you're, you know, if you apply a few things that, you know, we are suggesting. So I think it's very, very important to, for, for the people that we are looking for to have strong technology understanding being well, um, being good in communicating um, with with clients and understanding the business challenges, which is uh, which is not an easy thing to find. But exactly. uh, you know, yeah. challenge, challenge accepted. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want yeah. to ask you about that because they you're not just asking for builders. You you want people who know that world, that whether they're speaking to an airline CMO or a CTO of some enterprise company, for example, that you, you want people who can communicate with these. And or you said something really interesting about changing mindsets. That's not necessarily found, you know, um, regularly, regular skill set in, in the developer world. They just sort of, they're engineers, they build. You give me a challenge, I'll build it. Yep. They're not sort of going in there and saying, right, we need to talk about machine learning or we need to talk about your strategy or we need to sit down and look at your vision here and yeah. your competitive analysis that's almost like a, a management consultant as well yeah. so you've got an interesting mix what what sort of backgrounds do you think would really work in this scenario are they are they people that came from google or are they people that come from different backgrounds the startup world you know academics or what do you think would work here yeah it's a good question actually because we see like all these three uh backgrounds can work it's i think at the end of the day it really comes down to the person and like um i think number one is really the communication skills mm. so i usually start with that and um i don't really assess the technology skills but um you know that's that comes usually second if someone fails at least for because we have builders as well right but like this is not something that we are right now actively looking mm. in asia specifically um and that's something i would say that we have a better supply um, but for the people that are key, who are literally, as you said, it's almost like a management consultant, mm. uh, they need to have the communication skills. They need to be able to get the story through to the customer because exactly that's the first question that they would ask, like the airline CTO. Like, why are you asking me these business questions? Yeah. You know, they're not used to it. 
they might be used to it if Accenture or the large, you know, management consultants come in, but they're n- not n- really talking to them. They're talking to the CEOs mm-hmm. and all these mm-hmm. other guys. But um, but they're not used to getting these questions. And then, like, sometimes they're surprised, like, okay, so why am I need to... Why don't you just give me a quote of how much this right. got? Yeah, and this give is me not, the spec and go. Yeah, exactly. And this is not really the way it works because we also need to understand, like, what you need to build. Um, this is not something that you can buy off the shelf. And even though mm. there are, like, many other probably companies out there would say, like, oh, you just buy off the shelf. That never happens. You know, like, even if you want to integrate a, a large uh, marketing platform from adobe it takes like years to mm-hmm. to do the integration and it costs a lot of money right so like um it's not one size fit for all again like it's, that's that's kind of like the message and for that they these these people also need to understand of where we are coming from but mm-hmm. i think like that's also our biggest advantage and that's that's what, why we are better than and probably the competition mm-hmm. because we are we come from the business side. We understand the challenge first and we never go into anything without being able to understand why we're doing the things. Yeah, yeah. yeah so. But you also mentioned that off-air, which I think is important for anybody that's watching or listening and is interested in, a, you know, just reaching out to you. If, if they say, hey, look, I love what you're doing. I love what you're building. I want to be part of this. You describe yourself not as a startup, but as a business, a growth business. Is that a conscious thing? Is that is there a reason for that? Because that may also shape the kind of people that you're looking for and who should sort of reach out to you. Yeah, um, yeah, I think that's a very important part. Um, we, I, I like to describe ourselves uh, as a as a business rather than a startup because we, first of all, we didn't raise money. Mm. Although uh, I was told by someone at Y Combinator that uh, the the difference between a small business and a startup is seven percent week on week, which I think we pretty much uh, satisfied the 7% week on week right wow. now. Um, so in that sense, we could be a 7% startup. 7% growth week on week, week on is week. a startup. Yeah, that's, a... that's, uh, that's why he told me. So right. I said like, okay, this is two years ago. I said like, okay, right. challenge accepted also. <laughs> okay. um, yeah, so I think that that's another thing. But I think what is important is that we, um, so I want to build a business rather than like, mm. you know, build something on investors' money. I want to, uh, I want to make sure that it makes sense what we are doing. It mm. makes sense for our people. I mean, I worked with startups uh, around the world. I still work with a lot of startups, so I can see, like you know, the uh, the glory and the difficulty and mm. all the all the the things that can actually steer a lot of very um, a lot of very good company and a lot of very good businesses just because they want to grow too big mm. too soon. Mm. Um, so yeah, so I think like in terms of our growth. Um, yeah, we at the moment we can satisfy the growth with uh, with what we make, like uh, so basically reinvesting profits and stuff, um, which is probably something that in the future is going to change. Not because the money, but more because everybody needs partners, mm. and I believe in partnerships. So uh, I think we will need also partners like people, uh, organizations who can actually help us to get to a next level, and mm. that doesn't necessarily mean of like you know dollar bills. But more of like you know, um, advices, uh, relationships, strategic yeah. partnerships. Et well, what kind of things would those be? Like door openers into new markets, yes. geographical regions, and so on. Is there anything particular? I know you've got to start this conversation now because, you know, months down the line, yeah. this will become important to you. So it's best to sort of plant the seed now. Those people out there, what kind of companies may they be? 
Um, I think um, door door openers definitely. So uh, so companies, uh, organizations, people who can open doors for us. Uh, I think once we have an open door and have you know ears to listen, then we uh, despite the fact that Hungarians usually not very good at sales, I think we are pretty good at sales now, or we get to a, a good level. So once those op- th- those doors are open, um, then we we are pretty good at getting in and like you know, change that mindset. Mm. Um, so door openers, um, we would like to learn a lot from other larger consultant companies. Um, so we're happy to partner with any of the big, uh, you know, the big guys like PwC, Accenture and those mm. guys, because we see them as a, uh, in a way we see them as, you know, as a, as, as something to follow, uh, how they build processes and how they build relationships with these companies. Because ultimately at the end of the day, if you go into the enterprise space, these are relationship mm. builds, uh, uh things. Um, so we are happy to partner with them. Um, so, but ultimately, the most important for us is like someone who would share the mindset and someone who's not like you know, someone who's sharing the mindset of like building something that is sustainable. Mm. To be honest, like that's important for any of the partners that I'm looking for. So we're not building a, um, a next Uber. So to say, we're building a business that is sustainable and can have, you know, still impact on everyone's else lives. Mm. Awesome. Balaz Molnar, everybody, CEO, APAC for Alice. It's been fantastic having you in the studio. Before you go, um, what would be the best way for people to reach out to you? Is LinkedIn your preferred channel or you Gmail or what works for you? Yeah, I think LinkedIn is definitely one. Um, but you can just shoot me an email, which is uh, balaj at elis.ai, mm. which is, you know, balaj is a difficult one. So I will <laughs> spell it out. B-A-L-A-Z-S dot, uh, at elis.ai. Um, yeah. So, yeah, balaj is usually the, when people see the ZS at the end is a bit confusing. Well, we'll put it in the show notes. So we, yeah, we'll so help them out there. Yeah. And so, okay, so anybody that was listening that is um, wants to join the team, interested in where you're going with it, potential partners as well reach out to Balaj we'll put all the details LinkedIn email just a quick intro say hi watch the video watch your interview listen to your story uh, liked what you said about whatever and sure. that's a good starting point isn't it because they paid attention to what your journey is and that last point you said about sharing the vision you know that's really the most important thing isn't it because yep. you know you're not necessarily out there raising funds and spending time doing that right now yep. you're out there looking for people who really want to build together with you and open up new markets exactly Balaj, thank you so much for joining us today yeah, thank you for having me it's great you've been listening to asia tech podcast find out more at atp.show